You're listening to the Discriminology Podcast, the podcast that arms you with the knowledge and the tools to dismantle discrimination. With me, one of your hosts, Malik Selah. Welcome back, everyone, to the season finale of the Discriminology Podcast. I'm your host, Malik Silao, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Steve Kramer, Sydney Penn, and Sandra Costanzo. If you've been with us from the start, we appreciate your support. But on today's episode, we're going to be discussing civics beyond participating in the presidential election. Our team has noticed a general gap in understanding and how the lower levels of government function, such as Congress, the Senate, State Assembly, and other various local governing bodies. Our main goal for today's conversation is to not only increase civic awareness, but to promote and encourage civic participation. Especially in today's climate, it's absolutely paramount for citizens to not only be aware of their civic duty, but to really get out there and be involved, even beyond voting. So we also have a special guest today to help us do that. And I'd like to introduce Joe Sackman. Joe Sackman is a Democratic candidate running for New York State Assembly, District 15. Joe, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here this morning and that this is your uh, season finale. It's even a little more special. So yeah, saving the best for last, huh? Sure, for sure. Really appreciate you joining us today. So I guess to start, do you mind telling us just a little bit more about yourself and how you got into pursuing politics? Sure. Yeah, it's, uh, I'll try to keep it short because I can get long-winded and that story can get long. It goes back about five years, 2015, 2016, that presidential cycle. Um, I say that's where I was transformed from a clicktivist, somebody who sits behind the computer and just, you know, sends emails or clicks on a petition to an activist. Uh, that was basically because I saw how that, those primaries that were being run on both sides, uh, just, it just seemed so corrupt. Every day there was something in the news. There was just the, the amount of money that was being spent. And I started hearing, you know, you know I, I was like, I can't, I can't sit back and not do anything anymore. I have, I have to take more action. And I started seeing, I started paying attention, I should say, to this group called uh, Wolfpack. It was something uh, Jank Uger was promoting. He had founded that group back in about 2013 and, response to Citizens United. Uh, anyone who doesn't know what Citizens United is, is basically a Supreme Court case that uh, said, well, you can spend as much money as you like and corporations are people. And uh, so corporations are allowed to spend in our, in our political campaigns. And um, that made the whole situation worse. The situation was bad in the first place because of other Supreme Court decisions that basically said money is free speech. I said, well, this seems to be the issue that prevents us from doing a lot of the other things we need and want to do because those of us without money can't buy politicians. We can't have the influence in government and compete with them. This is, and this is undemocratic. So I got involved, became an activist. I said, uh, I'm going to do this. But for whatever reason, I did have a hesitation. And I don't know why I was hesitant. Maybe because I thought, it's never going to work. Then I said, wait, Grandma. Grandma was an activist, and I never realized it. My grandmother, Janet Sackman, was the first person to sue Big Tobacco and win. She proved that they knew that tobacco, uh, you know, cigarettes cause cancer. And later on in life, she had uh, 
she developed throat cancer and lung cancer and she lost her voice box. So she literally lost her voice. And uh, because of that, she found a new voice and became somebody who advocated to change the smoking laws. She, she traveled, she, you can say she, she spoke because she learned how to speak through esophageal speech. Never thinking that grandma was an activist, I realized decades later she was. And if my grandmother could survive cancer, go out there and make a difference, I was like, well, I can get off my ass and I can knock on a few doors. So my theory is that the two main drivers for people not engaging in civics is A, a lack of understanding and B, not believing that their one singular vote or participation makes a, a, a substantial difference. So I guess I wanted to ask you first about the education piece. Can you explain for starters how um, the New York Assembly even works? Yeah, well, it's if you want a parallel, it's kind of like Congress. So there's two houses, the Senate and the Assembly, the Congress, you know, in D.C., it's the Senate and, and Congress. Uh, the Assembly is more, there's smaller districts within the Senate districts or, and they have, they're, they're almost, it's almost, I, I'm trying to think of differences other than there's more of us in the Assembly. So it's about 150 Assembly seats. I look at it this way, it's more of a microcosm. So it's, it's closer to the, you know, the constituents because you're dealing with less people than you're dealing in the Senate district. And you're, you're more concentrated on what's happening locally. That's why I, one of the reasons why I chose to run for assembly is like, this is closer to home. And this is something where it's like, I can pour more energy into working with, you know, my community. So I see the assembly as a more direct representation of, of the community over a Senate district, which encompasses multiple uh, assembly districts. And the, what the assembly is supposed to do, in the, and as well as the Senate, is basically legislate, pass laws. Uh, they'll deal from everything with you know, how we use our taxes, how we deal with health care. You, you pick something, and there's always some law to deal with it. Uh, so it'll be regulations on uh, local regulations on, on businesses and your restaurants. Um, it could be for school zones. Now it, it gets, it gets pretty, you can go really deep into it. You get kind of wonky if you wanted to um, like, cause you'll do with everything where there'll be a, a section of the penal code that you want to change or a section of uh, um, you know, how, how we deal with real estate. And I, I bring those up because, well, we've got bail reform and we've got redlining. And so, you know, I'll, go, I'll, I'll gonna bring Jim Gorn into the state center. And he's mentioned several times that when Newsday did the expose on redlining, they're like, well, what can we do legislatively to deal with that? Well, let's take a look at how real estate realtors, realtors you know, what they, how they get their licenses and everything like that. So they found within the law that they could have those uh, licenses revoked if they did certain things or didn't do certain things. And so that was the law acting to deal with racism. So we can make laws or change laws to deal with that, uh, along with, like, as I brought up 50, uh, not 50, well, 50A is another law, but bail reform. Cash bail created a... It was never a system that was meant to work for the, for the good of the people. It really is just a system that 
ensures or tries to ensure that somebody returns to their court date when they're uh, charged with a crime. What we have in New York or had in New York is that cash bail really criminalized for people be, for being for being poor. Uh, you had a two-tier justice system. You had somebody like Harvey Weinstein who could pay his bail, walk away, and and then get his lawyer and then come back and and be prepared for his trial. Meanwhile, somebody who couldn't afford $50, and there's there's been cases where it's been a dollar, where someone didn't have a dollar. They sat in jail for like two months or longer. And you now think about this. You could have a father uh, who or a mother or somebody who, for whatever reason, they committed a, a misdemeanor and they didn't have the cash bail. Now they're sitting in jail for two months and if they've got a family at home, they can't provide for them. They can't help them. They're losing their job. They're, lo they're most likely losing their home because if they're renting or, or they have a mortgage, they're going to be behind their payments. So here's a situation that's hurting people because they don't have the money to get out of incarceration, pretrial incarceration. So they're considered innocent, by the way, because they're innocent to proven guilty. And this is affecting a lot of people especially communities of color. And it was a, it was a bad system, Sim put it simply, it was a bad system. And finally, last year, they said, all right, we're gonna get rid of cash bail. We can get rid of cash bail for these low level crimes. It it's doesn't work, there are better ways to do this. And they, they instituted, uh, more, basically they gave judges more tools like bracelets, ankle bracelets, uh, home curfews, et cetera. And most people are going to come back for their, their court trial. They're going to they're gonna come back and they're going to they're gonna show up and they just need the reminder that they can go home, they can be prepared for it. And they, they, it's just a better outcome. You know, when they look at it nationally, it's a better outcome. So those are examples of how the assembly and the Senate, you know, deal with the day in and day out of, of our lives. I, a lot of the things that you brought up, I find that most voters are really just kind of out in the wind when it comes to understanding how the different levels work, where the state level, and then you have your county level, you know, you have local school boards and things like that. And I think one of the things that, that, that I've read and that I, that I think is probably true is that people don't go vote because there are so many candidates. There are so many different offices and people don't know who these people are because there are so many different levels and we even elect our judges. Um, mm -hmm. So people will go either if, if you're, if you're very focused, you're going to go vote straight ticket You can go vote straight ticket, Democrat, straight ticket, Republican. But I think the election process is so overwhelming and the knowledge of who these candidates are is is difficult. It, it is difficult to, to know who all of these people are at all the different levels. So what kind of things can candidates do or what kind of things can, can the different systems do? Or do you think we're doing enough? Or do you think it's upon, you know, incumbent upon the people to figure all these things out? Can you talk about any sort of efforts that are out there as far as educating the, the population as to all these different offices? That's uh that's a really good question. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I, especially since I became more active, I always go back to JFK for this, the educated citizen. Anyone who's listening, you can Google it. JFK, the educated citizen, it was an address that he gave and he spoke about 
participating in government and it doesn't have to be like you don't have to do tremendous things to participate in our government the the simplest thing of course is voting we just you just mentioned but it is getting involved in something so whether it be the pta the the board of ed a civic group to keep yourself informed read you know i'd say read the news but we've got a lot of the news that comes in and it's like this is what i have observed if you decide to just get involved in one group or organization, something that you care about, you start to learn about all of this. Let's just say it's climate change, right? You're young, you wanna get involved, you get involved with the Sunrise Movement, and then you start to learn because if you wanna make changes, you have to learn who you need to talk to to make those changes. So if it's a legislator, you're gonna say, well, I need a local law that's gonna change how we use fertilizers or what we do with uh, emissions. If there's some sort of law that we wanna change or reform, and it's, if it's really local, you're gonna to go to the town and say, I, you know, we, we wanna make sure that you know, this, this chemical is not being poured into our water, so can, can we do something on the town level? The town can help you, you go up to the county level. If the county level is like, well, that's a state issue, then you go to your state. So, so you learn just by participating in that one group, all of these things. I know when I started with Wolfpack, I was like, I don't know half of what anybody's doing. So, and that's how I learned a lot. And because you have to, because if you really want to change something, you, like I just said, you need to know who you have to quote unquote target to change it. So that's one of the ways that you as an individual can learn these things and and move the needle forward but if you are but on the other side someone who is you know what the state can do or county can do it's really uh increasing you know civics in school which i don't think we see as much so you know people graduate and they don't even know how uh, you know, what's in the constitution. So if we have more civics in school teaching, you know, basic government, how to participate in government, you know, some schools do a good job. I'm not going to throw every school under the bus with that one, but you know, I think what you, you end up having is that you have a more educated citizen who knows how things work. And if we concentrate more on that, then we will, We'll, we'll see more informed people and people who care uh, about, you know, about what's going on locally. So that's, that's another thing. And as a candidate, it's voter outreach. So, which, you know, you can't, unfortunately, you can't talk to every voter, but you can, you can try to get a message out there about who you are. Because I know, I've heard it from many people, I don't vote for people I don't know. They don't know anything about you. They don't, they don't want to, you know, they'll skip either side, whatever candidate. They don't know anything about the assembly. They're going to be like, I don't know who this person is. I don't want to vote for them because I don't know what they stand for. I have two questions for you because you touched on two really good points. As far as being overwhelmed, is there anywhere uh, voters can go that this information is at least somewhat streamlined? To a lot of our listeners, because um, you brought up, target an issue you care about, and then you'll learn where to go. A lot of our listeners are concerned about issues that plague the black community and minority communities. 
where do people with those issues in mind go to, as you say, target and get the needle moving? Yeah, good questions. If you want to find out more about a candidate, the Board of Elections has a very basic, you can go to Board of Elections online, go to your county Board of Elections, they'll tell you who's running. Um, and you'd have to do a more digging from there uh, or go to Ballotpedia, not trying to promote them, but you know, they are, they are online. A lot of people go there to look up a candidate and see what they're about because you fill out a questionnaire, et cetera. Um, so there's that. And, um, so if there's more streamlined, uh, access, it's just, it's, it's the web. So if you, if you wanted to find out and you just type in New York state assembly district 15 and then see what comes up. Uh, but as for getting involved locally, there's a lot of groups that have formed in this last year, uh, to deal with, you know, discrimination. Um, I mean, there's the NAACP, of course, you know, they, they've been around for a long time. Um, I've, I've been involved with a few groups locally. I'm going to mess up their name. Um, Long Island for Transforming Justice. And I get, I got to get you the name and if you can post it. Uh, but it, it's a, it's a coalition of organizations that have come together to deal with policing on Long Island. Shaniqua Levin, Jackie Burbage, they're, they're leaders in there, Long Island Black Alliance. Um, that's another group. Uh, Link up in Huntington. Um, Long Island Activists is another group. Long Island Progressive Coalition. Um, so there, there are various, various organizations uh, that you can, you can look for. Sometimes it is hard because you don't know exactly what you're looking for. And so if, you, so if you don't know of a group, create one. If you care about something, just create one. Find someone else who agrees with you and ask them to join. And then find another person and ask them to join and start organizing. You know, and organizing is, isn't that hard. It's basically talking with people that, you know, feel the same way about an issue. And before you know it, you've got a, maybe a couple dozen people who have joined you they'll be fighting alongside you to get change. And then before you know it, you'll meet these other groups that are out there that, you know, you, you, you didn't find previously. You can't find it, you know, do it yourself. You mentioned the PTA when you talked about your associations. And I think the advice of joining an association is really just, it, it's really a, a great, great idea for all of our listeners to get involved. Everybody knows that the PTA runs the school district because the PTA is the one that organizes. The PTA gets members elected to the school board, even though they don't back officially and they won't officially endorse, they're that grassroots that gets things done. So if you're not involved in the association, if you're not actively going for it, then you're letting other people make decisions for you. Um, so if, if, if I could just uh, go a little sideways here, a little, a little different topic. This particular election year is incredibly important because this is the census year. This is the year that districts get, re get redrawn. And this is the year where your representation could actually change. You know, for a long time, Peter King's district was stretching up a little bit toward where you are in the assembly. And then it was redrawn, you know, 10 years ago. And different towns were incorporated. If you could just briefly talk about, or, or talk about what you think, how important is 
the redrawing of districts, how important is the census count and, and getting yourself counted and, and getting your representation known when it comes to re redrawing these, these districts, just um, maybe a little bit of how the districts are drawn because it's a little different in every state. Some state it's clearly the legislature does it. Some states have advisory groups. So uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about New York and, you know, your particular district and, you know, th those sorts of things. First, my district, I call it Picasso age three with a crayon because it is so gerrymandered. When you look at it, it, it doesn't seem to make sense unless you're looking at it strategically from the political point of view that you're they're basically circling the last time the, the republicans were in power last time so they were basically circling the areas that worked out best for them because that's where voters that were concentrated that benefited them and and the democrats do this too so let's not let's not say it's only republicans so democrats do it too well, what looks best for us? How many of our voters that are going to vote for us live in this spot? So let's, I've seen districts where literally a block was circled, carved out of another district because that had a good number of supporters. Gerrymandering is a, a horrific thing in that it doesn't provide a real sense of what that district should be for representation. So the, the state, New York State, is going to have an independent commission for redistrict, which I'm for. You know, I hope it's really uh, independent and they will look at, you know, how that district should be drawn. And I, I'm sure the districts are going to change, maybe not a lot, but they're going to change to hopefully be more representative of what's there. Like in my district, District 15, Hicksville is probably, I think like 98% of Hicksville is in the district. There's a sliver that's cut out and goes to District 13. Um, but when you look at, when you look at Westbury and Salisbury and, and East Meadow, it's drawn in such a way that you're, you're getting like just small parts of, of who lives there, which I would speculate is done on purpose because, you know, Westbury is a community of color, Newcastle is a community of color. Um, and when you look at the demographics of uh, AD 15, it, it's 70% white, about 13% uh, Asian, 13% Latinx, and 2% black and 1% other. So 2% black, but Westbury has more, you know, there's a lot more uh, of that community that could have been in this district. So I, it looks like they, it's cut up so that you are suppressing a particular community in their vote. So hopefully the independent commission will correct that and we'll see a, a district that's drawn that's better for the for the community so that they have, they have a stronger voice within that district whatever whatever communities are included the census is huge for several reasons one they decide how a district is going to be drawn up usually on how many people live there so every district gets x number of people you know, in AD 15, we've got 90,000 registered voters. I know there's more than 90,000 people in the district just because they didn't register to vote. They do live here. So, and then on top of that, what really is important about the census as well is that the census decides basically how much money the federal government sends back to New York State. So if we're not filling out the census, if we don't have a real true count, we're missing out on our tax dollars. We're, we're sending our tax dollars to the federal government, and we're just saying, well, you can keep a chunk of it, 
and give it to somebody else and not send it back to us because we don't need it. But we do. Who knows how many millions of people that didn't fill out the census and now that's going to affect our schools. It's going to affect Medicare, Medicaid. It's going to affect a lot of things in New York. We're, we're going to be, we're, we're going to get the short end of the deal when it comes to getting money back from the government. So uh, that'll be a problem because if more people move into New York and more people, you know, decide to live here, we won't have the money that we need from the federal government to cover that. And the state's going to have to look for ways to, to cover the difference. That and if you want to think of that, sometimes that's why we'll see an increase of taxes because, well, if we're going to keep doing what we need to do and we don't have the money that we need from the federal government to cover that, well, where does it come from? It's going to come from, you know, the residents of New York. I have a lot of peers that have a general dis- distrust for politics on a whole. They feel generally disenfranchised. Um, the census kind of speaks to that because there's a little distrust regarding the census with immigration and, and people that are here, quote unquote, illegally. I don't believe that there's illegal people, but that's another subject for another day. What would you say to that particular individual that feels so disenfranchised that they don't even participate for that reason alone? Well, it's, yeah, I can understand that. That's if nothing's working for you, why participate in a system that isn't helping you? It's a situation is like, how do you tell somebody like, well, yeah, it will work for you. And they're like, well, it hasn't worked for me my whole life. So how, how are you going to prove otherwise? So with, with that, the best thing you do is just, you have to have a conversation. If this isn't working for you, why isn't it working for you? All right, well, let's try to find the path to make it, make those changes. Participating in the census is without, without them knowing it, like I just said, we, the money that we need to bring back to the state from the federal government is helping them, even though they don't see it. A lot of people don't. We, this is all kind of behind the scenes, right? This is the government's, if the government's doing its job, most people don't see the government doing its job because, well, they're, they're working well and it's helping everybody, and et cetera. But when you have a system that definitely, you know, I, I would say this, yeah, that doesn't work for everyone. We may not, you know, you're going to need a small victory, I think, to prove to prove that, you know, it, the system can work for them. So you may not be able to win that day with that individual and have them change their mind. But if you're willing to hear them out and say, OK, what isn't working for you? This is sort of union organizing 101, right? So in union organizing, you go to somebody, you go, unions are going to do this and that for you. Right. And they go, well, that's great. And they don't believe you. And then you ask them, what is it that you want to see changed? Give me three things that you want to see changed. And then they may say, well, I want a better wage or, you know what? I'm tired of standing on my shift for eight hours straight and without a break, or, you know, I need better health care. And so, okay, these are the things that you want to change. Let's see where we can make those changes happen. And you, you fight for that one or two things and you have a victory and you prove, well, we can make the system work for you. You know, if, if you can do that, then that person is going to go, okay, what else can we do? What's the next thing? And it's kind of using that uh, metaphor, how do you eat an elephant, right? One bite at a time. So change is not going to happen wholesale without a huge revolution. So we're going to, we would need to, I hate to say incrementally, but yes, we have to do small victories to build up the momentum for the larger victories that we're going to need. And so 
look for something local, show how it affects them, how can we change it, ask them to, be, to participate in that. I think that's the way to go, you know, because you can talk to your blue in your face. People will just go, they don't believe you, they don't believe you. But if you can prove you can help make changes and show, the, show them how those changes can be achieved, you're going to win hearts and minds. Malik's question uh, made me think about your question regarding individuals who just feel so disenfranchised and kind of in this place where like, what is, yeah, what is kind of what is voting going to do or how do I get involved directly and make the change, you know, make, make the changes happen that I want to see happen. Um, I thought of individuals who are formerly incarcerated and how we have current laws that formerly incarcerated individuals, um, quote unquote felons, um, don't, you know, don't have the right to vote. And I think it is back to um, Joe's point about getting and actively getting involved, even in an entity as small as your own community and just getting involved in the quote unquote politics locally at that level. Like even if it's just, you know, prior to coronavirus, um, going to your local town halls and, you know, going to your local elected officials, you know, events that are put on in the community just so that you can be informed and you can be aware of kind of how your community and where you live is being governed and how the legislation is affecting where you live directly and then in turn affecting your situation personally. And I think just having that knowledge and getting involved in those ways when you may not have the right to vote or you don't think that you can be involved in a, in a, on a level like that, just being informed and getting involved and actively trying to participate in something, um, even if it's in your own community, is really important. Agreed. I guess to follow that up, I had another question mm-hmm. um, because we were talking earlier about gerrymandering, which speaks to a form of voter suppression. What are our thoughts on voter suppression? There's people that deny it exists. So can you speak to the legitimacy of it? If voter suppression is real in your opinion, how do we circumvent that? Well, making it as easy as possible to vote. Voter suppression is whenever you put a hurdle up to voting. And that could be very simple to having to have an ID to vote. In some cases, you do need that for the Board of Elections. Like if you registered without your driver's license, they'll want to prove that you're, that was you who registered when you go to vote. But in most cases in New York, you don't need an ID to vote. But a case where people were saying there was voter suppression recently in New York was in Suffolk County last year with early voting. They had early voting sites that were in places that were hard to get to. The Suffolk County is pretty big. So it would be in the town hall, like the town of Brookhaven, let's say. Uh, and you're serving, I don't know how many millions of people. And if you don't have a car, you're not going to be able to get to an early voting site in a, in a way that is beneficial to you. So you want to be able to provide easy access to voting. Uh, I think there should be automatic voter registration. So you turn 18, you're a voter. That's something all of us have the privilege to do. It's not just a privilege. I mean, it's a right. So why make somebody registered to vote? If you're born here and you're a citizen and, you know, at 18, it's when you get to vote, then boom, you should be able to walk in the door and say, hi, I'm here to vote. Not having to worry about to register, et cetera. You can choose your party later. You know, you don't, it's not necessary to be in a party to vote. You just, uh, unless you're in a primary in New York. So just removing whatever hurdles there are and making it as easy as possible to, to vote. And so mail-in, no absentee mail-in ballots, 
if we were to adopt that in our constitution, that would basically, everybody would get a, a mail-in ballot a application saying, hey, do you want a, do you want a mail-in ballot? And then that would be something that people could, you know, use to, to vote. So a lot of people seem to like this idea of mail-in ballot. Uh, early voting, voting on November 3rd, and all these things would be available. You wouldn't switch into mail-in ballots and take away early voting. You would keep early voting and have no absentee mail-in ballot and still vote on November 3rd. And let's, hey, let's make November 3rd a holiday so people can have the day off. So anything that lets us vote and vote easily um, in, that, in that way is how we combat voter suppression. Um, and also making sure there's enough voting sites, enough polling places. I mean, someone thinks about like, hey, I don't want to stand three hours in the rain to vote. They don't. So if there are alternatives where it's easier for them to vote, then you're going to get more participation. If you look at states that do have mail-in ballot, uh, like Oregon, they have like an 80% participation rate, which is great. When we know that in nationally, uh, we get at least at least half of the voters don't vote. So uh, anything that increases participation and provides access to voting is the way we deal with voter suppression. And when there's laws that are passed in other states that do that, that try to prevent people from voting, it's up to good government groups and people to, to go after that and, and you know, litigate against that. Uh, it's a battle that you know, we, have to, we have to fight. And we know, like in the past, you know, Jim Crow laws, you know, laws that said like, oh, if you can't read the statement, you can't, you can't vote. You know, that's ridiculous. So those things have been changed and challenged and we have to continue to do that. So it's a bit of being uh, vigilant uh, of what our laws and that that goes back to being participant in our in our our government you, you hit on my next question which is voter turnout and this being an election year we're going to have much higher voter turnout you know everybody's predicting this is going to be one of the highest uh, turnouts in a very long time since the uh, since the obama election and you hit on my other topic, which is regist registering. Why are we one of the only modern democracies that makes people register? It's, it's, to me, seems like an insane concept, right? So you, you said you turn 18, you're registered. And with this whole idea of voter IDs and things like that, have these things ever been brought up in the assembly as far as you know? And has, it, has the idea ever been floated, especially at, at the statewide level, of when they send you your your voter card, where you're going to go vote, why can't they just attach some sort of ID to that card? I mean, that would seem to shut up all of the people that claim that voter fraud is a problem. You know, where we all know it's not a problem. But have have you ever has any of these topics ever been discussed at the statewide level? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there there's a whole committee, the election law committee, that deals with this stuff, and they're tons of bills out there um, that deals with voting uh, and some of them are registering registering 10 days prior to be able to register 10 days prior to 25 days that's currently out there um, it didn't get uh, voted on on the assembly this year it was I think it was being held up but the Senate passed that let me put it to you this way um, laws can be proposed 
by your lobbyists and things like that, right? They, they, they decide they want a regulation law, but laws can also be proposed by citizens. So a lot of laws end up, that's how, that's how they come to being. So a constituent goes to their legislator and says, hey, we've got an issue within our district and we want to address it. And this is, this is the problem and here's the solution. Can we get a law to make this happen? So if you take that idea, well, if there, let's say nothing is being done about voter suppression, if people come into their legislators and say, here's our problem, here's our solution, the legislator helps them write the law, proposes it into you know, the state house and then hopefully gets passed. So if it isn't there, we have the capacity to, to get it there. And that's, that's what a legislator is supposed to do is, is help, you know, help the people. So that, yes, so there are several laws that are sitting up in Albany. I don't know their, you know, which numbers they are, which bill numbers they are. So I apologize about that. But there's thousands of uh, pieces of legislation that go into Albany every year. Was there a second part to the question? The, the idea of an automatic voter ID just being sent to your house when, when you're, when you're registered and like, wouldn't, wouldn't that quiet the opposition side that, that says that there's so much fraud going on? I don't think I, an ID is ever going to quiet the opposition about fraud. So I don't like the idea that you need an ID to vote. You show up, you give your name, your address, and you vote. If somebody shows up and says, hey, I'm Joe Sackman the second time, we're going to know there's, there's some sort of fraud. And you have all your information. They can contact you. The board of, you know, as long as your information is up to date, they'll contact you and say, hey, you tried to vote twice. So then we'll know there's an issue. I'm not concerned about fraud in that way. An ID is just a, another, it's a form of suppression because it's saying like, if you don't, what if you don't drive, right? What, what, if, what, if, you're, what if you're somebody who's, you know, who's never really needed an ID for whatever reason. Uh, now, most of the time you do need an ID for something, but you know, I have a library card. Is that good enough? You know, why do we need to make sure people have that? And if they, and if they don't vote often and they lose it, then they have to go find an ID and get an ID. And so it's, that's just adding another level, another hurdle to vote. I think when it comes to, to that, it's more propaganda out there to say like, if you have this, you do that, and, and makes people believe like you should have an ID. I've, I've worked the polls, and I've seen people walk in to show their driver's license, and they're like, we don't need that. And they're just like, oh, that's, that's how it is. We don't need that. I don't, I don't think we need an ID, to, to put it short. Joe, I think this was very educational, so I just wanted to thank you for joining us today. Closing thoughts, I would say, is just as far as participation, go out and vote and not just pay attention to the presidential election. As we kind of touched on before, there's elections happening all the time. New York State has an, an election calendar, if I'm correct, right, Joe? Yeah. So, yeah, the state election calendar is a great way to remain current on all the lower level electoral happenings. I think covering voting and civics was a great way to cap off our, our first season of discriminology. No, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, there's always an election every year. And uh, I've been saying this, I believe, is one of the most important elections of our lifetime, of the, at least this century. Make sure you vote and don't have any regrets on November 4th. This is your opportunity to decide, will our country start to move back towards democracy 
or will we go in another direction that is not democracy? It's moving away from a republic. Uh, so this is extremely important. This, what's going to happen this year is going to decide where we're going to go as a country for decades to come. I'm going to promote we have a better chance if we go with Biden, etc. But also down ballot, like you said. If you ignore down ballot, you're ignoring what's happening in your backyard. Because down ballot candidates are concerned about what happens locally. That's what your daily life is going to, you know, those are the people who are going to represent you in your daily life. Vote all the way from president down to, to assembly. I think that that is the point. That is absolutely the point that, that you and our local and our town and our, and, our, and our county and our local school board have so much to do with the way our money is spent and how much representation we get that those elections are as important as the presidential election as far as our daily lives go. So I think uh, I want to thank you again for coming on this morning and kind of explaining all the differences. And uh, we wish you luck. Thank you. And you, you guys are doing a tremendous job. Anything that educates, you know, is, is only helping us. So Very well said, Joe. Thank you so much. I just want to give a special shout out to all of our listeners. Thank you for supporting us throughout season one. And there's definitely a lot of great content to look forward to in season two. In the meantime, continue to follow us on all of our social media accounts. We post a lot of great content that I'm sure will keep everyone entertained during the production of season two. Thank you once again for all of your support from the entire Discriminology cast. Yes, thank you to everyone who's tuned in to our podcast so far. We really appreciate and love y'all. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing and for all your feedback. This has been a dope season. Make sure you stay tuned for season two. Um, it's only going to get better. More content on the way. We appreciate y'all and we'll see you in the next one. Thank you for listening to the Discriminology Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and to follow us on Instagram at Discriminology underscore podcast or on Facebook at Discriminology 3. Until next time. Peace.